not, they're at the table right in the lobby. So please go ahead and follow along with me. We're going to continue with the series called On Your Mark. And today we're going to talk about the question, who is the greatest? Who's the greatest? Jesus is the greatest, absolutely. Maybe your neighbor said, I'm the greatest. Oh. Well, this message is for you then. <laughs> All right. Muhammad Ali's dead, though. So. All right. Well, let's start with a word of prayer. Then we're going to jump into Mark chapter 9. And we're going to skip around quite a bit. We're going to go to Matthew. We're going to go to uh, back to Mark. So we're going to jump around quite a bit. So, you know, I've tried to give you a road map so you won't get lost, but you'll have to keep up with me. So let's pray, and then we'll look at Mark chapter 9. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to be in your house today with your people. God, I pray that you will help our time together to be encouraging, to be edifying, to be mutually beneficial. God, we do want to be here to uh, praise you and worship you. And Father, I pray that you will just reveal your plan and your purpose for our lives through this message, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, who is the greatest? Let me give you a clue. It's not us. We are not the greatest. Sometimes we act like we're the greatest. How many of you played on a sports team in the past? You wanted to be the greatest, right? You touted yourself as, we are the champions. All right. Thank you, Queen, for that song. Mark chapter 9, beginning with verse 33. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? Now, that's never good when Jesus has to confront you and ask you what you were arguing about. Right? Okay. Verse 34, and I think this would probably be all of our responses. But they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. Wow. Verse 35, sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last. Not just last, but the Greek is emphatic there. It says the very last. So it means not just the appearance of being last, not just pretending to be subservient, not just pretending to be submitted, but actually being the very last and the servant of all. Verse 36, Jesus took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me. The implication is he doesn't just welcome me, but he welcomes the one who sent me, which is the Father. Now, a little background here. Earlier in Mark 9 specifically verses 2 through 13, we find the record of the transfiguration. And for more on that, you can look at Mark 9, the very first part, a little later this afternoon, if you're not familiar with it. But again, a little background. Jesus had taken Peter, James, and John up on the mountaintop with him. There we see that they experienced a revelation. They saw Moses and Elijah, and Jesus talking with each other. I don't know about you, but that would have blown my circuits. 
And I would think that it blew Peter, James, and John's circuits as well. We're not told why Jesus chose only Peter, James, and John for this special revelation of his glory. You know, possibly it's because this speaks of those particular disciples' capacity. Their capacity. Have you ever asked yourself, what's my capacity? Yes, no. But we're going to visit that idea of capacity a little later toward the end of the message. These guys were the ones who might have been most ready to more fully understand who Jesus really was. What we do know is that these three were the ones who made up Jesus's inner circle. They were among the first to hear and respond to Jesus's call to become disciples and follow him. Immediately following the transfiguration, we read about the healing of a boy with an evil spirit, demon possession. Now this time it's in Matthew. So Matthew 17, verses 14 through 20 says, When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Let that sink in for a minute. I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. And this is Jesus' response. To me, it kind of seems uncharacteristic. Usually, Jesus talked this way to the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees. But he addresses the demon-possessed boy's dad with this. But he's also referring to the crowd, and he's probably even referring to the disciples who were unable to cast out the demon. It says, you unbelieving and perverse generation... How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Moms, how many of you have said that to your kids? The rest of you are not being honest. Bring the boy here to me, Jesus said. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed at that moment. Verse 19, then the, then the disciples came, to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? What's our deficiency? Why couldn't we drive it out? And finally, in verse 20, he replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith, and Eddie talked about this earlier, Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and guess what? It will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, let's not overlook the important truth found in verses 19 and 20 of Matthew 17. It says, then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked him, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. So again, here's the scene. We have Jesus and his inner circle of three who have just witnessed the transfiguration. The three are probably still in amazement from what they have just experienced. But what can we learn from their story? Well, for more on that, I think we can find the answer in Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 18. 
And it says, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Now, I can just imagine this setting. The other disciples were there and were asked by the demon-possessed boy's dad to cast out the spirit, but they couldn't do it. Then you have the religious leaders arguing with the disciples and probably the crowd too. Why were they arguing? I think it's likely for two reasons, and they're up on the screen. Number one, religious people don't like it when Jesus and his people, the genuine ones, show up on the scene. That makes them uncomfortable. And number two, religious people don't like for other people to get the attention. They want it all for themselves. Now, this leads us back to the second argument, which was just among the disciples. In Luke 9.33, Jesus asked, what were you arguing about? Peter, James, and John were spiritually filled up and overflowing. Then they encounter the scene with the other disciples, the other nine disciples, and that's where they find themselves in a hard spot, caught between the demon, the frustrated and disappointed, even scared dad, the emotionally charged crowd, the angry, condescending religious leaders, and oh yes, the super spiritual, super special inner circle of three. Plus, to put icing on this cake, Jesus is there. You talk about pressure. That's a lot of pressure. So let's fast forward. They finally leave the area and they make their way over to Capernaum. Capernaum is a small town, even to this day, which was Jesus' home base for his earthly ministry. Now, I can just imagine how both sets of disciples must have felt. The nine most likely sensed they were being put on the spot by everybody. They must have experienced insecurity, feelings of defeat, and even embarrassment because they failed. The three, on the other hand, might have been a little puffed up, a little prideful, and may have come across as being condemning or at least condescending. Peter might have even said, well, you know, this is loudmouth Peter, Mr. Blabbermouth. Well, if we would have gotten there sooner, we would have cast out the demon with no problem. And we would have even shown those religious leaders who has the real power. Now, neither group sounds anything like us in the church today, does it? No. I didn't think so. I just was asking the question. Of course it does. Obviously, the argument did, did not escape his notice, but Jesus waited until they were alone so that he could teach them and mentor them and bring them along. Now, let's pick it up in Mark 9, verses 35 through 37 again. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last 
and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he had placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Why do you think Jesus used a child as an object lesson? I think Jesus did this to help his self-centered disciples get the point. We are not to be childish like the disciples arguing over position and power, but rather childlike with humble and sincere hearts. Not childish, not immature, not crying like babies, not arguing, but childlike, humble, teachable, sincere hearts. Now keep in mind the title of today's message, Who is the Greatest? You feeling great right now? We'll get there. Allow me to make five, five observations about greatness. Number one, so if you're taking notes, this is when the fill-ins begin. True greatness does not come from a position, an office, a title, money, or even power. Number two, true greatness requires that we be great in the right areas. Do you know God wants you to be great? He does. But there's a path to greatness, and that's what we're talking about today. Number two, true greatness requires that we be great in the right areas. We need to learn to be great in faith, great in humility, godly character, wisdom, patience, and love. We can all be great in those areas. Number three, true greatness is a matter of love for and a commitment to God. Number four, true greatness can be measured by our willingness to serve without recognition and praise. How many of you like getting the credit? I like getting the credit. Good job, John. I mean, who doesn't want to hear that? We all want to hear that. But we should seek that praise from God that credit, that accolade from God and not people. So again, true greatness can be measured by our willingness to serve, even if it comes without praise and recognition. Number five, true greatness is revealed in how we serve others. Do we serve others only when it's convenient for us? Do we serve others when it's only between nine and five? Do we serve others when we somehow get the credit for it? When we get something in return? I hope not. True greatness is revealed in how we serve others. No strings attached. The disciples had become so preoccupied, and listen to this, the disciples had become so preoccupied with position and power that they lost sight of their real purpose. Instead of seeking a place of service, they sought positions of advantage. Who is the greatest? And we find in chapter 10, they had another argument. We're not going to get to that today very much. But James and John went to Jesus and said, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, we just have a small special request. One of us wants to sit on your right and the other wants to sit on your left. 
Again, seeking power and position and recognition. So obviously chapter 9 didn't do very much for them. <laughs> the disciples were embarrassed and put on the spot by Jesus' question. What were you talking about or arguing about on the road? It's never comfortable when Jesus calls us out for our wrong motives and our wrong actions. Ever been called out by God? Sometimes it comes through your pastor. Sometimes it comes through your spouse. Sometimes it comes through your godly boss, right? Sometimes it comes through your kids. Hello? Through the mouths of babes or from the mouths of babes, sometimes we are corrected. So we should be looking for God to speak to us in some of the most uncommon ways. Now, it's not wrong for Christians to be ambitious and motivated. I wish more Christians were more ambitious, were more motivated. It's quite the opposite. But when ambition pushes aside obedience and service, it becomes sin. We're a lot like the disciples in this regard. Pride and insecurity can cause us to overvalue position and recognition. In God's kingdom, pride and insecurity are actually destructive. They will tear a church apart. They will tear a family apart. In God's kingdom, pride and insecurity are bad. The only healthy and appropriate ambitions are those that seek to love God, love others, and advance God's kingdom. We have to renounce and turn away from pride, power, and position. These really are the devil's tools. They're not God's. So this leads me to, to my final thoughts. The end is in sight, folks. Just wait. I think all of us, or all of this, rather, can be boiled down to one word, capacity. Capacity. You know, your car says that it will hold five passengers, but how many of you have stuck nine passengers in there? Yeah. I grew up on a farm in rural northern Indiana. And for whatever reason, my dad thought it was a great idea to buy a brand new single cab pickup. That's great if it's just you and mom or one or two kids. But we had six kids. And we used to get a lot of tornadoes. tornadoes and one night there was a tornado warning and we all jumped into the single cab truck, all eight of us. And we drove to the gravel pit, parked the truck there so that we would be protected from the tornado, which actually went through and tore up our house pretty, well, pretty good. But that truck did not have the capacity really to safely transport eight people. Usually we just rode in the back. Now that's safe, right? Sure was fun. I'll ride in the back. Capacity. Peter, James, and John seem to have had a different or greater spiritual capacity than the other nine disciples. Keep in mind, two of those nine disciples were Thomas. What's Thomas known for? Doubting. Doubting. And who's the other guy? Judas. What's he known for? Betrayal. So you can understand why these other nine 
were possibly weaker in their faith. So here's Judas, here's Thomas, part of the nine, trying to cast out the demon. How's that going to work? If you, have a, if you have a betrayer and a doubter, you know, I don't actually think this is going to work, but I'm going to try it. You ever been there? We all have been. Just don't be where Judas is. <laughs> so they had a different spiritual capacity than the other nine did. So for whatever reason, they were able to experience, that is the three, they were able to experience the transfiguration, and the other nine did not. These guys seem to have been invited time and again to, expend, ex, to spend exclusive time with Jesus. The other nine, again, had a different capacity. The Bible indicates in Jesus' words that they were unable to cast out the demon because that kind of demon can come out only by prayer. Some manuscripts say prayer and fasting. Other manuscripts say much fasting and prayer. But I believe the nine disciples had a different capacity because they had a different relationship with Jesus. Now, pay close for growth and development that the others did not experience. Simply put, I believe, as Matthew 17, 20 says, the nine lacked the faith that was needed to cast out the demon. I also believe that we can have as much faith as we want to or as little faith as we want to. It's really our choice. Faith is a direct result of intimate prayer with the Lord. Prayer is simply spending time with Jesus, with the Father. Our faith grows when we're tested and tempted and we overcome. And at the same time, our faith increases and grows as we spend time waiting on the Lord. Waiting doesn't mean I go and sit in a chair and just wait for great spiritual things to happen. What does a waiter do? They wait on you. What do they do? They help other people. Hmm. So how can we wait on the Lord? Well, you've got to be there, first of all. You've got to spend time. It has to be intentional. You have to talk. You have to listen. And in listening, he will direct us. You need to go share your faith with such and such a person. You need to do this. God is speaking. The question is, are we listening? I think we are. Some people wonder why they don't see miracles happen in their lives. Why don't miracles happen? And they've fallen for the lie that says, well, that was just in the New Testament. That was the Old Testament, New Testament. This is a new era. Miracles don't happen anymore. That's a lie. We are living in the last days. And guess what? The book of Acts began the last days. So we're still there. Prophecies are being uh, fulfilled each and every day. We are living in the last days. And we have the opportunity to see miracles today. Now, again, some people wonder why they don't see many miracles happen in their lives, why miracles don't seem to be a part of the lives of those who are close to them. Again, I believe it is directly related to how committed we are to being a person or people of prayer. 
They may not see many miracles because they're hanging out with people who are weak in their faith as well. When we do not pray, our faith is weak. It's simple. When we learn to pray, we will see miracles. We will see signs and wonders. So the question is, who is the greatest? And I think it depends on how you can answer the question, what is my capacity? All right, I need three volunteers. Just real quickly. You're not going to get hurt. You will be on TV, I think, but... Uh... <laughs> All right. I have two Chinese volunteers. Uh-oh. I'm training. We need to powder this guy up. Okay, I need one more, please. One more, one more. I'm going to... Volunteer means you volunteer. There we go. All right. Come over here. Let's all get together. Maybe slide over that way just a hair. Come on over here. Uh, we haven't rehearsed this, obviously. Otherwise, my volunteers would have been right up here like that. All right. Show us these wires. Hold them up. What does this speak of besides electricians and all that good stuff? speaks of capacity. All right, some of us are wired to handle this much of God's power, that much of his presence. Some of us actually pray, and we can handle that much. Some of us pray fast and exercise spiritual gifts. We speak in tongues. We seek healing for people. We try to operate in the gifts. So the question is, what do you want your capacity to be? All right, thank you. Thank you, and thank you. I think every person is born with this capacity right here. All of us. This is how we come out. But as we grow in Jesus... As we become disciples, we can reach this level, this capacity. That's pretty hard. A lot of current can run through there. Imagine what God could do through you if you take four of these. Imagine what your capacity could be. You will say to that mountain, be plucked up and cast into the sea. You know, according to his will. Obviously, it's not going to be a frivolous command or anything like that. But you can pray for people to be delivered. You can pray for people to be healed. And God will operate through you to make sure that happens. Amen. All right, I got this off the Internet today because I know about that much about uh, electrical or electrical stuff. But listen to this. The amount of power a wire can safely carry is related to how hot it can safely get. The amount of power a wire can safely carry is related to how hot it can safely get. All wires have resistance. And as power flows through a wire, that resistance causes heat. And it can be quite, and actually it can be quite a bit of heat. The more power you put through a wire, the hotter it gets. Insulation breaks down as it gets hot, and at some point it will melt away, leaving the wire exposed to whatever is around it. 
other wires, grounded metal, people, etc. The heat can even be enough to start a fire in the surrounding material in some cases. Electrical fires are nasty and tend to start in the hardest to reach places where the most heat builds up back in dark corners and tight spaces. This is why using the right size wires is important for your safety and for the safety of those around you. God is calling you to increase your capacity. But some of us are content with just a little bit of current running through us. You know, we pray for greater things, or let me take that back. We want greater things, don't we, spiritually speaking? But we're not willing to do what it takes to increase our capacity, so we stay here. God may desire to shoot all this through you, but if you're wired for this, what's going to happen? You're going to burn up. All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to be exposed to your word. Lord, I pray that you will speak to our hearts today. Help us to re respond to you in faith and obedience. Lord, just draw us close to yourself. Help us not to settle for just a little bit of current. But God, allow us to open our minds and our hearts to allow you to fully flow in us and through us. God, help us to impact those around us because of your empowerment, because of your presence, and because of our spiritual discipline. Help us to make the decision today to put you first, to pray, to seek your face. And then, God, we have the promise that you will hear from heaven. You will hear us, and you will respond. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I hope all of us want to be used of the Lord in greater ways. I hope you want to share and model the gospel to other people so that they can be introduced to Jesus. I pray you want to see the sick healed. I believe you want to see others operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But far fewer of us are willing to pay the price and make the necessary sacrifices it will take in order to increase our capacity for faith. Are you ready to pray more earnestly? Are you ready to fast so that you can focus on godly things? Are you willing to serve? Are you okay with not receiving the recognition and affirmation that you feel you deserve? Are you ready to be great as Jesus defined greatness? If so, then I want you to stand with me. Simply stand as a statement of faith and commitment to seek first God's kingdom and not the kingdom of self any longer. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Just know some of you struggle to be the faith-filled believer you know God has called you to be. So please remember this. In this life, our faith is often mixed with doubt. That's just part of being human. This weakness does not mean, however, that God will not listen and respond to your prayers. He understands. He sympathizes with our weaknesses, according to Hebrews 4.15. We should confess our lack of faith and pray that he will give us the faith that is needed to accomplish great things in his eyes. So wherever you find yourself on this journey of faith, ask the Lord to increase your capacity for faith 
and effectiveness in his kingdom. And then you will be great. Lord, you see the hearts and the individuals who are standing today. God, I pray that you will honor their faith today. Partner with them. Help us to partner with you in growing in you, in being used of you. And God, I pray that you will increase our capacity for greater spiritual things so that we can be great as you define greatness. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much for being here today. Pastor Forrest will be back next week unless he gets COVID again. <laughs> Just kidding. He won't get COVID. I'm teasing. But thanks for coming out. We know it's a sacrifice sometimes to get up, especially when you've lost an hour's sleep last night. So we appreciate, appreciate you being here, being faithful and serving. God bless you all. Have a great day.